everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is a new podcast about film photography, about experimenting with film photography, about art, things we like, cameras, lenses, lighting, all sorts of stuff to do with film photography. And uh, my name is Aid, and I will be uh, your co-host, uh, certainly for this first podcast, and probably, hopefully, if I do well, uh, for future podcasts as well. I first picked up a camera about eight years ago and got completely hooked. Uh, I've been shooting film photography now for about four years and the thing that I like to do I love the light I love to capture the light I like to add lights I like to play with lights and that's one of the things that really works for me as a as a film photographer I also love portraiture um, especially environmental portraiture people within their environments so that's a little bit about me um, I'd like to now introduce you to Graham my co-host hey guys how you doing and hey, Aid, how are you doing in particular, I suppose? That seems the most sensible thing to say. Um, well, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be here. Episode zero, because every podcast has to have episode zero, which we either set fire to or release, depending on how it goes. I suppose this is 0.1 now, isn't it? Because episode 0.0, we did set fire to. <laughs> Probably we, we got halfway through and realised we didn't actually have a name for the podcast we were making, so... But yeah, I, I've been into photography now for only about five years. Yeah, five years. And I spent the first year shooting exclusively digital and decided to give film a try because I'd never really shot with a proper film camera. I'd had a point and shoot growing up and mucked around with that, but n- never really a proper camera. So I picked up my first £10 SLR off eBay and that turned out to be the start of a very long and occasionally expensive road which has seen me go from that one slr to i think i now have somewhere in the region of 50 cameras of all shapes and sizes around the house and yeah i love them and i try to use as many of them as i possibly can and i just have immense pleasure playing around with the machines themselves and experimenting with all the, the different things you can do with them. Uh, there's, there's something about uh, analog photography that just can't be captured uh, through digital means because so much of the enjoyment of it comes at the time of taking the photograph. I, there's something about using these well-crafted mechanical devices that we've lost now everything's gone to digital and i i still enjoy using my digital camera i still use it a lot and it it certainly has many advantages but i never get that special feeling or the attachment to the pictures i get from shooting film so yeah i'm very happy to now have a a platform to be on to talk to everyone about all my fantastic ideas i'm putting into play because even as i'm getting my finger stuck trying to undo one of these experiments from last week but yeah, onwards and was aid. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. I, I, uh, I think the, one of the things for me about film photography is exactly that: it's the feel you get as you're shooting. And I still shoot a lot of digital as well. Um, but if I have a choice when I reach for a camera, it's going to be a film camera. Anything from a tiny 110 film camera right the way through to medium format. So uh, that is what 
this photography podcast is going to be about the sunny 16 podcast uh we'll have some uh show notes and we'll have uh, a call out at the end of the podcast about where you can find us on the internet we'd love to engage as many people as possible in a conversation to help build uh some interest around what we're doing and to link up with other people who enjoy experimenting with film photography and sometimes uh you know not necessarily understanding what the results are going to be um, <laughs> and sometimes maybe a little bit closer to understanding what the results are going to be so yeah. with that in mind graham what have you been up to recently in uh, your world of film photography this year so far um i seem to have gone off on a bit of a tear of really more experimental playing around with my equipment um i started mucking around with pinhole photography a couple of months ago and that's taken me down a few different weird paths and in this last week i've been using or perhaps trying to use as a more accurate term a converted bronica etrsi pinhole camera my bronica so i've got a bronica system which is a medium format camera it's great it's a really nice camera i'm sure i'll use it properly in the future and talk about it then I also have a spare body for it. I don't know why, um, but I, I've got one. And I have a spare back for it, which doesn't work properly. So I thought, well, this, this seems like it's crying out to be turned into a pinhole camera. But Of course it is. Why not? Yeah. Why, well, what else would it cry out for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything needs to be turned into a pinhole camera. Um, but rather than just turn it into a standard pinhole camera, which is obviously fine, but it's just too easy. What I thought I'd do is I would use it, I would jam 35 millimeter film into the film cassette, whatever it's called, which is meant for 120 film, uh, which also, that, that's not too difficult. And then to get more panoramic effect, I thought I'd try and make it into a curved plane. You have to bear with me here a bit because it gets a little bit stupid at this point if it wasn't already. So what I did, if anybody who hasn't seen a Bronica, this is not going to make a great deal of sense, but these medium format cameras have a detachable back which you can put individual rolls of film into and swap them out. So if you're shooting black and white and then you get halfway through a roll of film and you think, oh, I need colour for this or maybe I need a fast dryer. So you can take that back off and put another back on with a different film in. And obviously to do this, you need to not let light get through to the film. So they have these things called dark slides, which you slide across, then you can remove the back safely. So I took the dark slide from this already broken. It's important to make sure that we know that this is already broken so that the vandalism I then did to it makes more sense. <laughs> and I bent the dark slide and kind of, very forcefully and brutally shoved it down between the rollers to make a curve um, on the film plane so that when I jammed in the 35mm film and taped that in place and pulled it over where the film goes, it was bowed out quite significantly to give this curved, I'd hoped, panoramic effect. It had a few drawbacks. Uh, really? First... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd think that this was such a foolproof plan that there'd be no flaws. The first drawback was that because the curve bowed out so much, it completely messed with the internal mechanisms of the camera. So I couldn't use the shutter on the camera. I had to lock it up completely and then make a little cardboard shutter on the front. Um, so that was a bit of a pain in the bum. 
And the other thing in the using of it was that because it was all a bit tight where things were being shown, winding the film on proved to be very difficult. There's a little winder on the side and it hasn't even got a handle as such. It's a little thumb wheel and it was really hard to wind it on. And in fact, I only managed to get through about half the roll of film before it got too hard to wind it on anymore. So at that point I had to bail on it and pull it out and um, develop it. I shot some cheap Agfa Photo Vista uh, one pound film. This is great. This is colour film, 24 exposure film from Poundland. Uh, everyone should go and buy some. Actually, everyone should go and buy lots of it because it's a one pound roll of colour film. Um, but because I'd only shot half of it and I knew negatives were going to be a weird size and also the film had got a bit bent and crinkled through the none too delicate passage of being dragged over this contraption i decided not to do what i normally do with boots color negative um with uh, with color negative film which is take it to my local boots uh, the chemist who still do c41 35 millimeter developing i decided to do it at home so <laughs> To add to all these problems this poor roll of film has already had to go through, I then dubbed it in black and white chemicals, uh, which worked fine. And I got negatives out the other end. Uh, they're not very good, turns out. I'm, I'm not quite sure <laughs> which part of the process really let it down. I'm going to go with probably all of them in equal measure. For one thing, the focal length was longer than I'd figured. So... I thought, oh, I'll be reasonably wide to get this. No, um, I was much close to things, so my framing was way off. Also, the panoramic effect I'd hoped for, where I'd get in more of a scene, didn't happen. Where it was curved, it just elongated things and made them wider and had weird distorting effects on them, which was interesting, but not really aesthetically pleasing in any way, shape or form. So, back to the drawing board on that one. I have, whilst sitting here, just removed my uh, patent, probably not pending, curved film plane. I think that dark slide is dead and forever now. I'm sure I, I, I might revisit this as a pinhole again, but maybe just with a 120 film, or I might just try and get it back into a proper camera, because I think that's been a little bit of a disaster. But um, talking about disasters i gather you've also had a bit of a disaster with film this week aid oh well we'll come on to me in a minute i have so many questions about the bronica thing is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main one why i, I mean i do, i know that bronicas don't get a whole lot of love from people who shoot Hasselblads and mamias and stuff like that but i love my bronica i have that i have similar to you an etrsi uh, a six by uh, a 645 um, medium format camera uh, and I think it's great um, and I you know part of me uh, a large part of me is just wincing as you tell that story <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, e even if there was something that was already broken and part of me can't quite figure out how you managed to do it I mean these things are full of locking mechanisms and stuff like that you must have had to be really quite violent to get this to work at all <laughs> Well, not really, because the, the, again, it's one of those, if people haven't seen one of these cameras, they're, they're very modular, so everything comes, as you know, because you've got one, everything comes apart, so the lens comes off, the viewing hood comes off, the back comes off, everything comes off, so the camera body, the little cube in the middle, uh, 
was untouched by this whole thing, apart from having a lens cap, a bo- lens body, ca- a body cap put on it and the hole drilled through it. And I was able to lock, wind the shutter on and then lock out the way so the um, mirror was held in the opposite. So that was fine. I say that was fine. I don't know. When I next come to try and use it, I may discover that that was not fine at all. The film back did get a little bit more damaged. Well, actually, actually, not really damaged. I just had to take off one plate, which I should be able to screw back on again. Uh, the dark slide, the, the best thing I've now realised with the film back, I used the dark slide to make this uh, rubbish curved back and then put the film back on the camera. I now realise I can't take the camera back off the camera at the moment because you need a dark slide in place to do it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's locked. It's like, oh, well, that's that's there forever. Um, it won't be because I have other dark slides on other working film backs, but they both have film in them at the moment, so I can't use them. So it's actually fairly non-destructive. I'm, I'm trying to be less destructive with my experimenting because some of my early experiments did get a little bit smack happy um but no this one is fully fully reversible and certainly the camera body itself is still in full working order the one um, the one mistake is probably underestimating the number of mistakes the, the one thing i did find was when i came to use the body cap to make the pinhole using a body cap a camera body cap is quite a good way of making a pinhole for a camera especially if you want pinhole photography with a digital camera you can just get your body cap drill a hole through it a sort of a reasonably large hole then make a little pinhole in the metal stick it on put the body cap on the camera you're away to go and i thought well that's what i'll do with this bronica the body cap on the bronica is about three millimeters thick and um that turned into a bit of a disaster just trying to drill through the body cap uh, i ended up making a real messy huge hole and um and because it was so thick i had to find a way to make the hole even wider so that it didn't show up on the pictures because heaven forbid i spoil the wonderful shots that i got out of it <laughs> uh, yeah that was all a bit of a bit of a disaster but no apart from the hole in the body cap and the damaged dark slide it's all still in good working order uh, probably i'll let you know when i next um try and put a proper roll of film through it and as i said i do have a fully working unmolested bronica sat in its bag probably quaking with fear at this point having seen what happened to its <laughs> sibling um, well, at least you know that all your other cameras are going to behave, I suppose. <laughs> it's like yeah. Nobody's going to step out of line with that being the punishment, are they? I so, think, yeah. Well, there we go. I mean, now I have seen as well um, the results, at least one of the results of this <laughs> exercise, yeah. um, which I, I I believe you are uh, going to post on our Instagram if it's not there already, and um, it, and our other internet presences to do with the uh, the podcast. So yeah, uh, li- listeners, look out for, for that. Um, yeah, and well, uh, have a laugh along with the rest of us. <laughs> what I'll what I'll do, I'll, I'll stick up on um, Instagram. I'll stick a picture of the. Uh, carefully designed camera so if anybody wants to draw inspiration and make their own <laughs> rubbish bronica pinhole camera um they can do that and i will also stick up a couple of pictures from the results to f- firmly put people off the idea of uh, making their own bronica pinhole but yeah we'll stick them up from twitter um twitter on 
on Instagram and hopefully on Twitter as well. And our Instagram is aid. Oh, good question. <laughs> it's uh, it's a real easy one. <laughs> No, it is a real easy one. I just wasn't expecting you to throw it over to me like that. Our Instagram is sunny16podcast. That's all as one word. Uh, and the number 16 is actually the number 16 rather than written in letters. So it's sunny16podcast. And that's where you can find us on Instagram and where you can find us on Twitter as well. And on Facebook, although we have yet, as yet done nothing on Facebook. So... Um, but uh, it depends on how long it takes me to edit this this masterpiece. Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay, so so can we can we rest assured then that um, no cameras were permanently damaged, at least not valuable ones, uh, in 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 this particular experiment. Um, and uh, there was a, 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 some very interesting photographic results, and uh, nothing for anybody to worry about. Uh, just uh, enjoy the fact that actually uh, this podcast is here uh, to to make those experiments, so that others don't have to ruin their cameras in the name of <laughs> having exactly. Fun. Guys, this is science. I'm I'm out here taking the hits so that you don't have to um, you don't have to thank me but you probably should public service broadcasting at its finest okay yeah. all right well thank thank you for thank you for sharing i think um yes and uh, uh hope no cameras are out there listening <laughs> okay. right that's that's enough of my disasters please can i hear about some of your disasters this week see this um. is like all good <laughs> Are you sitting there playing with some sort of film camera whilst we're recording a podcast? <laughs> that was me checking that the shutter did still after being bashed around on my bronic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you what, I'm, uh, disasters, I don't know, but actually uh, mistakes definitely uh, that, that I can relate to this weekend uh, and this week in general. Um, so recently I acquired, for the first time ever, it's the first time in my adult life, anyway, a 110 camera. Uh, something that's not actually uh, very popular these days, um, given that it's actually quite hard to find the film for it, or at least it was until recently. So, uh, 110 film is a small cartridge film. Uh, you never get to see the, the roll itself because there's a, a, a plastic cartridge at either end of it. Uh, and so it's quite a solid little thing. And they get and it fits in tiny cameras. The film that you shoot itself is actually quite small. And um, one of the things that I learned recently, actually, is that although I had a mental image from as a child that these things were tiny, um, the film negative that you shoot with a 110 camera is almost identical in size to a modern micro four thirds sensor um, you know with you sort of within fractions of a millimeter um, so what you get is uh, uh, very small cameras um, many of them actually historically were sort of point and shoots with fixed apertures uh, little or no metering and so a lot of them are actually um, you know not uh, horrendously useful as cameras but what I acquired recently uh, is a thing called a Pentax Auto 110 now this will almost fit in a matchbox 
a large matchbox. <laughs> that seems like a bold <laughs> claim. No, 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 get bear with. <laughs> <laughs> Once I finish with it, it might almost fit in a matchbox, but that's not saying much. Once you're finished with it, yes, it'll fit in a small bag. Um, but the uh, no, the, so so uh, I mean, uh, of course, not not the matchbox that you put in your pocket, but uh, you know, a, a, a kitchen-sized uh, matchbox. But <laughs> kitchen-sized matchbox. That's a large matchbox. <laughs> Oh, give me a break. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, move it sol- soldering on with this little yeah, this little tail. Um the the Pentax Auto one ten is actually a fully functioning automatic SLR, a single lens reflex camera. So although it will fit in the large type of matchbox commonly found in a kitchen, at least in the UK anyway, um it is uh, a a fully functioning SLR. Now, you don't get, as the name suggests, you don't get a lot of manual control. In fact, actually, it's entirely automatic. But it is an SLR with a mirror uh, and uh, a, um, uh, a focusing uh, element uh, within the on the focusing screen uh, and interchangeable lenses. And the lenses are crazy, crazy lenses. I mean, the, the diameter of, of, of these lenses is possibly about the same as a, a, as a two pound coin, uh, which for our European cousins is probably about two to two and a half centimetres across. And for our American cousins, uh, about an inch. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's about an inch, isn't it? You know, come on. Uh, you, you and I are both old enough to remember learning about metric measurements at school. So yeah, the... Only metric, not inches. What? Oh, no, sorry, I meant imperial. <laughs> no, not old enough. Not old <laughs> enough for that at all. Yeah, you are. Right, so anyway... <laughs> The Pentax Auto 110 is a fantastic little camera to use. It's a tiny little manual focus thing, uh, but with no exposure controls. And it operates with two LR44 batteries, so very, very standard batteries. They come in a tiny little plastic holder. Now, my little adventure with this is that having shot the first couple of cartridges of film and sent them off to the developers, uh, they came back actually not too bad. Um, what you tend to get with the 110 film is a lot more grain in a in a scan or a print because the negative is is that much smaller than 35 mil. So if you imagine a uh, half decent quality, a little bit soft focus, uh, 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 but quite a large amount of grain in the images. Uh, that's the sort of aesthetic you get from from this camera. Uh, and the first two I films just, came. Sorry, great. Just ask what film you were shooting. Sorry. Oh sure, yeah. Um, I was shooting uh, Lomography Tiger Two Hundred. Uh, Lomography being essentially the only company in the world that now manufacture one ten film. It's still possible to buy uh, expired film uh, from the various different manufacturers who uh, who discontinued it some ten years ago. You can still get some Fuji film, I believe, and maybe some Kodak as well, and some of the other. Um, uh, uh, other brands um, that uh, is that is that they're still uh, but all expired quite some time ago uh, this Lomography Tiger 200 is a colour negative 200 ISO film they also do one I believe called Orca which is a 100 ISO black and white film mm. um, and they have done some slides some E6 film but I don't think they, they there's much of that kicking around at the moment 
Um, it's interesting in itself, actually, uh, the the film, because the camera only really understands about two ISOs. So you can't set the ISO on the camera. All that you can do is, uh, if you want to shoot it at, in the case of my camera, uh, 80 ISO, um, then you just pop the cartridge in. If you want the camera to think it's 400 ISO film, uh, you can get a little knife and cut a corner off the plastic cartridge. <laughs> which then doesn't trigger a micro switch in the camera and the camera says aha I know this this is 400 ISO film and I'm going to do something different with it so having shot a couple of rolls of 200 ISO color negative um, at 80 ISO and having had them come out reasonably okay uh, I then thought I'll put a third roll of film in this uh, and, and then for some reason, as I was shooting it, I noticed that the little coloured LED that tells you whether you've got uh, a decent uh, exposure or whether it's going to be very slow, um, that's supposed to appear in the, in the viewfinder, um, didn't appear. But I thought, well, you know, it's an old camera, I bought it off eBay for a few quid, let's see where we get to. And then I got to the end of the film, um, and I... Uh, opened a back door uh, to take out the cartridge um, and there were no batteries in it <laughs> right. so what had happened and this is a feature I guess um, uh, of both my operation of the camera and the design flaw in the camera itself is that the batteries sit in the same um, compartment in the back of the camera as the film itself and what had happened is clearly as I'd went to change the film cartridge the batteries dropped out and I didn't know about it oh no <laughs> So I shot a whole roll of film uh, with no batteries and therefore no exposure metering at all. <laughs> so what was, what does it do when there's no batteries in there? I've no idea. <laughs> Probably I should look that up because this little thing that I got off eBay actually had an original printed manual with it. Um, the manual being about the size of a credit card so it fits in the box with the camera. <laughs> so, so what have you done with the roll of film that you shot? I am humming and hawing at the moment because unlike you I don't actually develop my own film so I'm humming and hawing whether it's worth you know the shots on it are worth the the 20 quid it would cost me to post it off get it developed and scanned and sent back That's not, um, uh, most cameras when they don't have batteries I mean I'm assuming you were here in the shutter click oh so yes I, yeah no so it, I, it, it, the shutter works um, and, and did work so so when it's working properly, it's it's fully automatic in that it's setting the shutter speed and the aperture for you, or is it a single uh, aperture or? No, it, it has a it has a two-bladed aperture. <laughs> fitted <laughs> With it, a two honestly, it's a weird shape. Uh, they're, they're sort of the two blades are, are curved, so you get a slightly cur curved edge rectangle as as your aperture, um, and uh, they are situated inside the body of the camera and form part of the shutter mechanism itself. Uh, right. The lenses actually don't have um, any aperture blades in them. They're, ju they're just sort of made to be wide open and the camera body handles it all. But yes, so the, the aperture and the shutter speed, in theory, uh, when the batteries are in it, are connected by the... Uh, are uh, operated and, and set by the camera. So without batteries, it's, it's going to default to something, isn't it? Maybe. I need well, to get the book know, out and read it. Look it up. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm sure if anybody ever listens to this, they'll let us know, and then we will um, have that information. But yeah, I know that. Uh, say, for example, with my um, the first rangefinder camera I bought, which was the Electro 35, 
I know that if that hasn't got a battery in it, that defaults to a shutter speed of uh, one five hundredth of a second, which is pretty quick. But at least you know you are with it. And I actually, when I first got it, before I had a battery, I went out and shot a roll of film through it quite happily because I went, okay, well, I know what know what the uh, shutter speed is. And as the podcast suggests, just sunny 16 it and go from there. And um, yeah, if you have that information. So if, if it's set it at a shutter speed and aperture combination, which might have been a bit forgiving, it might be worth sending it off. Mm, yeah i'll do uh, i'll do that we'll see we'll see i'll have a think about it and 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 see if i consider it's worth the money i've, I've actually managed to uh to you know since, since that which i finished that at the weekend i've actually managed to finish off another couple of rolls of 35 mil as well so they're definitely going off to the lab and and uh we'll, we'll uh, form something that we can talk about on a on a future podcast no doubt so those rolls of film uh, that situation where you've and this is the, I suppose the downside of shooting film versus digital, because with digital, you know what you've got straight away. And with film, you don't, you have to wait and see, which means that it's possible for things to go wrong. You, you're never going to have a situation where you get to the end of the day with the digital camera and go, Oh no, I, I was taking pictures all day and I've just realized that I didn't have a lens or I didn't have, a um, memory card because your hammer just won't let you do that but uh, you can have those issues happen I've had two issues two times that this happened to me with film cameras the first one I was at a big um, bike meetup near me a motorbike meetup where like thousands and thousands of bikes all shapes and sizes descend on this one little village in Oxfordshire and it's great for just wandering around and taking pictures and I had my uh, Olympus OM10 SLR, which is a really great, underrated little uh, aperture priority SLR. They're cheap on eBay with their 50mm 1.8 lens, and they are a really good place to start off. And they're small and they're light anyway. And I was wandering around taking picture after picture after picture, and it was when I got to something like shot 38 on this roll of 36 uh, that I thought, hmm, hang on a second, something's not right here. And I did a bit of fiddling around and realised that the roll of film had just never caught and hadn't been winding on at all all night, and I hadn't been taking any pictures. I just wandered around clicking the shutter for lols. Um, that was a bit upsetting. Uh, and then I've I, been there. I've yeah. been there. I, I shot a school sports day once with no film in my camera. Ooh. <laughs> That kind of thing. It's when it happens on a special occasion. That reminds me of um, my only recent 110 film experience. Because growing up, my first camera, I think as a, as a lot of people of our age, which in my case is um, 21, um, will know that uh, the 110 film cameras were all the rage when we were growing up. And my first film cameras were these 110 um, chocolate bar shaped cameras. And I think it was a boot camera or something like that so i i've got still got pictures i took with that but then haven't thought about 110 for many years and i was in a charity shop which is where i like to look for most of my cameras um, because i need to buy them cheap because obviously i'm going to probably destroy them at a later date and i found a kodak uh electro i can't wait i haven't got it tanned um something like electro lux 
something or other. Um, don't know, don't anyway, vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's you're right. That's a vacuum cleaner. Anyway, I'll find it. I'll take a picture of it. I'll stick it up on Instagram. And it was in its box and everything. I thought, oh great, it was two pounds, um, which in American money is two pounds converted into dollars. And I thought, well, I'm going to buy this because it's all here. And I got it home, and it had a film in it. Um, with only a couple of seconds, so it struck me that it would be a really good idea on this camera of reasonably good age. I mean, it must have been from the eighties with film in it, which is probably every bit as old. I would use that as the prime camera for taking pictures one Christmas, and um, you'll be unsurprised to hear the results were really, really bad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are visible images. Is that something to do with the camera? <laughs> uh, I think it's more something to do with the film. Um, they, uh, If I remember, I will also share a picture or two from that. But yes, the colour uh, color film does not cope with years of neglect and heat and things like that. And it was, it was a horrendous, grainy, coloured mess. The other thing was that there was a picture of someone's grandmother on it which is not that surprising. It's a role of film. Why not have a picture of somebody's grandmother on? But on at least one, and I think two other roles of found film, by which I mean where I bought a camera, it's had a roll of film in it. And I thought, well, I may as well develop this because who knows what will be on there. There have been pictures of grandmothers on them, which just strikes me as weird. Why, why are people taking photos of their grandmothers and going, well, this camera's ruined forever now. It's not pictures of my grandmother. Just throwing the cameras away? Or is there somebody going along finding these unloved cameras and just taking pictures of their grandmothers? It's weird. But I'm I'm putting it out there that most cameras that you find that still have a roll of film in them probably have a picture of somebody's grandmother on them. So yeah i i look i look in charity shops and and other places and i never seem to find any of these bargains that you hear about on the internet either with or without a free grandma you know, <laughs> it, 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 you know I, i've never been given i've never found a free grandma I never found a free you know a roll of film uh what i have i suppose seen is some rather savvy charity shop owners who know exactly how to price <laughs> <laughs> the tat that they have although i have to say the the bargain i did get recently um given that they've now stopped manufacturing holger cameras uh i i've been looking to snaffle up a couple and uh i did win uh, a practically unused holger uh, one of the glass lens holgers uh on ebay uh, a few weeks back with uh it only cost about 10 pounds i think and maybe about 12 pounds 50 including the postage and the reason was is it was listed third uh in a a lot of three cameras um and the first couple uh were 1980s basic empty plastic boxes yeah point and shoot cameras but you know uh, sort of you know uh, infinity focusing you know completely automatic no control point and shoots and because it was listed with those then um then i actually uh, don't think anybody had seen it so you you do okay i do occasionally get i suppose an ebay bargain but uh i don't have the luck in charity shops uh, that you seem to have I, I, it's getting harder. I mean, it's it's got harder on eBay. The job lots are often worth a look because you just never know. But I, I, it seems to be increasingly difficult, certainly on eBay, 
to find something that a billion people haven't already looked at, picked over and decided whether or not it was worth anything. And uh, even with the charity shops, uh, I think that as film photography is starting to gain momentum again and there's more people and particularly young people that are getting into it for the first time and taking up an interest there's more people on the hunt for interesting stuff and i've i don't have much time to look around them these days unfortunately i've had a couple of good finds in there in the past um i think probably my two best finds uh were my olympus mu 2 which is um I hate to use the word cult because of the close proximity to words I'm not allowed to use on the podcast, but <laughs> it's a little, very dinky little point and shoot camera that is very sought after because it's got a really good Zeiss, uh, Zuiko rather lens on it. And it's 35 millimeter F 2.8 and it's a cracking camera. Um, and I found it for five pounds in a local charity shop and, if I was going to buy one now on eBay, there's so much competition. They're going for £50. Because uh, I did look, because I like using it so much and the results are so good. I thought, oh, I'd quite have another one as backup because I, I shove it in my pocket and take it to work and stuff like that. It's so convenient. I've used it a lot. But I'm not going to pay £60 for another one. So either way, getting one for £5 from a charity shop was pretty good going. And I also found a Canon Canonet ql 17 which is a really nice small 1.7 f 1.7 rangefinder it's really nice camera really a smart little rangefinder and all it needs is new um that's it clicking away there there you go uh, it's great having all my cameras on the shelf nearby it's all working fine it's the batteries don't quite match up these days but Again, it's got um, manual shutter speed and aperture on there, so I can just do that manually. It needs the light seals replacing because they were really tacky and horrible. And I actually sent away and ordered new light seals for it, um, I think, three years ago. And I haven't got around (laughs) to fitting them yet, which is a real bummer because this camera is waiting to be used. But um, I'm going to get around to it very soon. And that I think I paid five, maybe ten pounds for. And it would certainly be more than that on on the bay but it, it is it's getting hard you just need to be really lucky and these days you seem to find that either there's just nothing there or that the charity shops have decided that they've either got an antique or something like that and it's worth way more than it really is you see a lot of very overpriced pieces of well i'm not going to use the word junk because everything is usable but stuff that's not worth the price they're asking for it so, yeah, it's hard to find a bargain. Well, you know, on the upside, if everybody's liking to shoot film cameras and experiment, then maybe there'll be some more listeners for this podcast. No, yep, that would be good. They should all come here and um, and be horrified by what I'm doing to <laughs> all this lovely stuff. Is this going to be a Jekyll and Hyde thing then, is it? And I can never remember which one is which. Which is the nice doctor? Is that Dr. Jekyll? Uh, so, yeah. So yeah. I'll I'll be him then. I'll be the one that looks after the cameras and tries to use them in the in the way that their manufacturers and designers intended and and, and preserve them. And you you can be Mister Hyde. Yep, yep. I can be the one that's doing the exact opposite. Which actually brings us on quite nicely to what the other thing that I've been shooting over the last week, which is I decided that lenses are great the way they are, but 
they could probably be improved upon by removing some of the extraneous parts of them like some of the elements some of the glass elements because you really need all these elements in the lens um <laughs> so I, i've got quite a lot of old lenses floating around uh, that have come with various old cameras that i've bought and some of them are better than others not all lenses were created equal and most of the lenses i've got are real cheap beaters especially i've got a handful of millimeter lenses and so like the one i've got in my hand now is um a 50 millimeter Yashica lens on the, uh, the um, old thread, the old M42 screw mount, and there's nothing. Okay, there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, it. It was a perfectly adequate 50 millimeter lens, but I had loads more, so I thought, well, I'm going to just try and take this one apart a bit and see how that goes. And I've now managed to create a lens which I can't focus further away than I think five feet. <laughs> um, that's the, that's its maximum focal range. Uh, so it's good for portraits because it's also made it quite a lot longer than I think it's probably about a ninety millimeter lens as well now. And it's a m- quite soft focus, uh, and the highlights can be spectacularly blurry. But uh, so that was fun. I sort of unscrewed the front and took out the element from there. And then what I realised whilst playing around with that is that on quite a lot of these old M forty two screw mount lenses the rear elements, the two rear elements at the back of the lens near the camera body, you can just unscrew them and take them out as a single unit. So uh, I did that with a 28mm lens. I've got a Sun 28mm lens. That just and This is not causing damage to it because they can totally be screwed back in again, um, I'm sure. And stuck that on a... Uh, Fujika ST605 which was the first SLR um, that I bought when I said I picked one up five years ago this was the one that I bought for £10 on eBay and I, it's, I've had a lot of fun with this camera it looks really swish I love the way this camera looks the light meter doesn't work in it but who needs a light when guessing works so well so I stuck the 28mm lens on there and went off and uh, my local uh, woods has been covered in bluebells lately so I scrambled off there before work one morning jumped on my motorbike, whizzed up there and took a few pictures and finally got the roll, got around to finishing up the roll of film and got that back from uh, Boots because I did take that one to Boots actually there was even with that there's a bit of trauma because I was winding on and clicking and winding on and it just wouldn't quite wind all the way on so I did what you should never do with cameras, and I forced it a bit too much and ripped the end of the film off the thing because I hadn't realised that I'd gone past 24 exposures. So I had to get that into the darkroom, pull it all out, tape it onto another reel and wind it all back in. Anyway, it all worked out fine in the end. And uh, when I got the results back from Boots, do I discover that the camera now has a bit of a light leak, which is unsurprising given its age in general condition but the results from the modified lens are quite good fun um i've stuck them up you've seen them haven't you aid see what happens when you take out the two rear elements is you get this a slight loss of sharpness in the center and then this <laughs> epic loss of sharpness everywhere else it just it uh, as i put on the thing in, in the post in the forums so you're just starting to jump into warp speed because the sides just blur out um, so that, that's pretty good fun. So this, 
yeah, I have seen him. Daily. Um, it looked great, really interesting. Um, uh, and you're right, it does look like somebody is running really, really fast whilst trying to take a photograph of something stationary. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, look, the sort of thing you probably shouldn't do in the woods because you'll end up running into a tree. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, it it is a really interesting effect. It, it reminds me a little bit, actually, of my Holger, um, which has a, a, a very small zone of sharpness or almost sharpness in the centre and then crazy blurriness around the outside. And uh, certainly um, probably wouldn't do very well with the rule of thirds kind of composition or, or, or anything no. more avant-garde than that. But if you're quite prepared to have the subject of your photograph smack bang in the centre of the image then you could probably have some quite creative effects with it. Yeah, it, it was interesting because until the roll of film came back, until the prints came back, I, I really didn't know what it was going to look like. I knew that if I, from having tested it out on my digital camera, because I've got an adapter so I can put M42 lenses, the screw mount lenses, onto my digital Fuji, which is a great way for testing out and having a muck around with them. The Yashica that I was talking about moments ago, I've, I've taken a few pictures of that on my digital camera, and that really is a hot, blurry mess of entertainment. But it's fine on digital, because it doesn't matter. You can just take pictures and test it out. And yeah, I was actually quite pleased with the results from this. I, I, I'm sure I will do more stuff with it. But the great thing with that is, and I, anybody who's got any old M42 lenses kicking around, or if you just, they, you'll find them cheap kicking around there's, because there's so many 50 millimeter um screw mount lenses you can those kind of things you actually can find in charity shops and online fairly cheaply and it can be a good way of just if you want to try something a bit different and as i said it's non-destructive in most cases the the two rear elements will just with a little bit of effort the get start can be a bit of a fat but they will just unscrew and you can screw them back in again and you're going to get a different look for no monies whatsoever and i thought oh this could be really good for portraits um now a 20 millimeter 28 millimeter lens is not really ideal portrait length so and i i, I admit i felt bad about this even as i started doing so this could end in tears i've got a uh, jupiter 11a lens which is a 135 millimeter f or russian tank of a lens it's made of just like cast iron. It's heavy as a brick. I thought, well, I'm going to try and do that with this. It's a slightly different setup with this, turns out, and the lens kind of fell apart to me a bit, but I think I've got it back together again the right way now. <laughs> you think? I think. Um, <laughs> oh, that's all right then. <laughs> yeah, although I'm, I, I put the rear element back in because when I took it out, it just wouldn't focus at all on anything. So, okay, that's... But I think I may have put the rear element in back to front but it seemed to focus, although perhaps closer than it used to. Anyway, so what I would say is if you're going to try these uh, lens improving, modifying, or uh, occasionally looking beyond all recognition things, do it with a lens which has no real value to you. <laughs> Don't do it with one that's important because sometimes you discover that unscrewed has lots of tiny bits in it that then fall out all over the floor, and that is the end of that. So yeah, do it, do it with your junkers, not with your good lenses. But it, it's yeah, it can be a good way of just experimenting and having some fun with it. But. Well, sounds sounds good. So uh, yeah, you mentioned the uh, the M forty two mount being, to the best of my knowledge, a reasonably standard nineteen sixties and seventies uh, screw type mount, which was used by a variety of manufacturers, I think. 
um, yeah. Japanese Correct. and Russian. Now, if we wanted to get started with one of those and take on one of these kinds of experiments, where, where would you start? What what lens would you buy? What camera would you buy? You know, there's a, a choice of things to look at. Um, a good place to look, I, I think, for cheap cameras, which tend to come with a lens, is Praktika. The Praktikas were East German cameras, I think. I think um, so. I think my dad had one when I was a kid, actually. Yeah. Those are different models. Um, and it's the early Praktikas, the MTRs and things like that. They are very clunky cameras, but they work well. They've got a nice big viewfinder on them. And the lens that they tend to come with is the Pentacon 50mm lens. And that is actually a really nice 50mm lens in its own right. It's got a really nice bokeh to it. I've, I've used it quite a few times on my digital camera because I was looking to borrow um, Dave from the forums, uh, Hasselblad, recently, and he's got Carl Zeiss lens on that. And the, the effect on that was very similar to the 50mm Pentacon. It's for a fairly ubiquitous, very cheap 50mm lens. It has a really nice... Uh, look to it and nice soft colors to it and you can pick up these practicas with these 50 millimeter lenses on them real cheap so that's a really good place to start with that the other ones that tends to be very cheap and there's a lot of them around are the zenit cameras the zenits are the russian house bricks that they were making those in essentially the same uh, shape for decades and there was very little difference between the ones they were making in the late 60s to the ones they were making in the late 90s. Uh, I've got a few of them, um, and I've certainly shot a few rolls of film through them. And as with all of my experiences with Russian cameras, they are not without their flaws. But whilst the Russian cameras tend to be a bit of a crapshoot, the Russian lenses tend to be actually very good. And the lens that comes as a standard with most of the Zenit cameras from the Zenit E on was Zenit BE onwards up to the modern ones is the Helios uh, I think it's a 2.2 50mm lens and again it's, it's a nice sharp reasonably quick lens has really nice bokeh when it's out of focus and actually I'm going to reach across now it's, I've got a shelf full of goodies here uh, this is an, an older Helios. I don't know how old it is. It's certainly one of the earlier ones because I've got a couple of these. And certainly on this one, the two rear elements, uh, even just with my fingers, I can unscrew those and out they come. And, um, and there's yeah, another so lens ruined. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another lens permanently destroyed. I'm going to screw that back in now because I actually don't want to take that. So that's, those are two two cases where you you can pick up really cheap cameras with a 50 milliliter 50 millimeter lens and i would say that the practicas are the better cameras the zenits are hard on film they i've every time i've run film through them they've got scratched and they're clunky to use and uh, yeah you have to like that russian charm but the practicas are actually pretty user-friendly they their appearance is uh, it makes it quite clear that they say it came from the same country that gave us things like larders and stuff like that they have that <laughs> appearance to them but yeah for very little money you get a really nice lens and a, a good usable camera body and you'll often find ones that you know the light meters still work on them and stuff like that so 
it's a good, really cheap place to start off on, on the M42s. And um, and, and from, for general experimentation with film cameras and lenses. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said before, if you've got a digital camera already, a digital interchangeable lens camera, whether it's an SLR or a Micro Four Thirds or a mirrorless, you can get adapters for, I think, pretty much anything to allow you to use screw mount lenses with your digital camera so or buying something that you can get two lots of use out of that's actually one of the wor- worst things for a, a traditional film shooters is that the market for lenses has um, been sucked up because so many people are buying them to use exclusively on digital cameras because the glass is so good yeah there's that old thing of lenses good lenses are good lenses and um it's getting harder and harder to find cheap lenses because people are buying them for digital cameras. But yeah, these old 50 millimeters, like I said, the Pentacon and the Helios are both good, cheap, plentiful lenses, which are well worth using and will give really nice results. Uh, sounds good. I mean, I, I have to say I am in no way immune uh, from the charm of, of old lenses. Um, speaking as somebody who recently bought one of the most useless adapters that must be available on the market, <laughs> that of the the Bronica ETRS adapter to Fuji X cameras, <laughs> which is my digital camera of choice. Um, so so uh, arcane, in fact, that actually it's not one adapter, it is two adapters. It is a Bronica to Canon EOS, I think, and then Canon EOS... <laughs> to Fuji X. I'm sure my my Bronica 150mm f3.5 manual focus lens is going to get a, a lot of use on my Fuji X-T1. <laughs> we'll it's just so, so convenient and compact fit on there. Like Just like all the Fuji lenses, the Bronica is just so lightweight and user-friendly. Well, you know, it's like Lego. Sometimes when you play with Lego, you get something good out of the end of it, and sometimes you get something that possibly should have stayed in your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I quite like. I, I've been having a look at adapters recently because, obviously, as you were just saying, these adapters are available not just for every modern digital camera, but also to adapt from. I think. If not every lens mount, then almost every lens mount. But also, they're now starting to add on many of them the ability to have tilt and, in some cases, shift movements on them, as well as just fixing on. So you can start to get those different effects like a tilt-shift lens. So the adjusting the plane of focus, or if it's got shift on there as well, you could actually vertical lines if you're taking architectural photographs it's um i mean those are actually getting quite expensive to do that but i know i was looking at adapters to use my olympus m lenses on the, my digital camera and if you're prepared to spend um, over 200 pounds on a lens adapter yeah you could get tilt and shift movement i don't know how effective they'd be but it's quite amazing the uh, uh modern technology these days <laughs> hey kids well, absolutely no, and you're, and you're right about what that's impacting on the, on the lens and as the lenses market, and as digital sensors and lenses get ever uh, ever more piercingly accurate over time, 
there, there seems to be a resurgence in in the joy of uh, not just the the film photography shooting, but also the the lenses that come from the, you know that that area of photography, and you know the aesthetic that they can give to uh, your photography itself. Um, sometimes far more soulful if that's a good word to use uh, than the 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 very surgical digital lenses that uh, are sold by most of the manufacturers today well those um i think it's finished now but uh lamography's recent kickstarter and did you see that aid is this for another one of their victorian knockoffs yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was the um, is it the Petsfar lens? Or was that the previous one? That was I, it was. Oh, was it a daguerreotype lens? Anyway, it was a. I think it was a Petsfar lens this time. But yeah, they are. They had a Kickstarter uh, to make a new old lens, and it was hugely popular. And these lenses are not cheap. They're going for hundreds of pounds. Um, they're lovely brass lenses and. Yeah, people are looking. I, I, I think digital cameras have gone such a long way in this race to sharpness and image perfection. But I think people are starting to look elsewhere. To yeah, lamography in particular, and that whole movement has helped people realise that there's more to shots than just being super sharp. And I think that's why people want to try out different things. And that's why I like mucking around and disassembling and stuff like that it's it's fun but yeah it's amazing because i think that kickstarter was funded extremely quickly and they raised a lot of money so there's clearly an appetite for yeah, the unusual not, it's not the first time lamography have achieved that either i think they're, they're cl- they clearly are have found a, a rich vein of, of photography enthusiasm uh through the through the film stuff and more recently with things like lenses that that, that can equally be used on uh, digital cameras as as well as film yeah yeah okay i was i was quite amazed actually i i, I was telling you earlier i um picked up on ebay this week uh a debonair camera which is a diana clone and um, for anybody who doesn't know what there is the dianas and the debonairs and a slew of others cameras which are almost identical uh for want of a better word cheap garbagey plastic cameras made in china in the was it 60s I think originally? Uh, originally originally yeah much uh, although you know of course now being having been picked up by lamography uh, as the diana camera they are still manufactured uh, yeah today. but um yeah these these early ones were uh, no known and unpopular um but they leaked light everywhere they were you know the lenses were all over the place but they were popular but very cheap camera and I grabbed one on eBay for five pounds and Lomography is now selling these, the modern updated version of these very cheap rubbishy cameras. But I was surprised to see that they start at 90 pounds. Like, Ooh, that's a lot for a cheap plastic camera. I know they package it very nicely and all that, but yeah, it's, uh, as you said, they found a rich vein in the market <laughs> selling people well-packaged plastic tots. <laughs> Well, you know, everybody has a right to make a living. So, <laughs> okay. Well, do you know what? I think uh, that collection of stories probably constitutes the main thrust of our first ever podcast in the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, I think time to wrap it up, maybe. 
uh, we are expecting to release these podcasts weekly uh, we'd love for you to subscribe and to listen in weekly and uh, we will be talking more in the future about experiments with photography including the destruction the willful destruction uh, of cameras and lenses uh, we'll also be talking about trying to turn photography into something uh, a, a little bit more pristine uh, maybe there's some of those stories will come from me rather than graham and seems uh, likely <laughs> yeah so that's a little bit more of insight into what you might expect to hear from us in the the coming weeks and months uh, graham would you like to uh, round us off by telling people where they can find us on the internet yeah you can find us on instagram uh we are sunny 16 podcast all one world with the number 16 same on twitter sunny 16 podcast we haven't actually posted a single thing on twitter yet but i'm sure that'll get uh, rectified promptly and we are the sunny 16 podcast on facebook as well so wherever you like to interact with people we'll be there if you have made it to the end of this show one well done um and two let us know what you think of it this is our first show we've got a long way to go with it hopefully and we want to make it it's pleasant to listen to and enjoyable for everyone so please give us your feedback if possible don't use rude words just (laughs) polite criticism but let us know and if you've enjoyed it leave us a review on itunes uh that would be really helpful it helps other people find the show yeah i think that's it oh uh, i suppose important thing is to find and have longer form conversations with us uh the pixelated photographer forums is a great place to go i'm on there all the time as are you aid and if you've got an interest in photography digital film or otherwise it's a great place to hang out there's weekly assignments or sorry monthly assignments there to encourage you to get off your backside and take photos and um yeah everyone should swing by and check it out and chat with us there uh, yeah, absolutely. And just to recap on uh, the URL for that, uh, all as one word is, is pixelatedphotographer.com. And many thanks to, to Chris, who runs that forum, uh, for his support in helping us set up uh, this podcast and for uh, continuing to let us talk absolute nonsense on his site. So, <laughs> okay, well, in which case, then, thank you all for listening and uh, we will see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. There, all done.